everybody, and welcome to another episode of Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, four games at a time. Usually, we play them briefly, judge them harshly, <laughs> and rank them, and that's pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And uh, I said usually there because today we're actually going to only talk about two games. We have reached the yeah. end. We've reached the end of 1991. We decided instead of just going straight into 1992, we would just kind of reflect on this first year of the Super Nintendo's life. And uh, we will move on to 1992 in the next episode. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so we are essentially doing basically a capstone episode for 1991. And, you know, I feel kind of accomplished that we actually made it all the way through this first year in like less than 10 episodes. It's it's kind of remarkable looking back at it. You know, this is a decent chunk of different kinds of games, but it's pretty contained, you know? Yeah. This is really the launch window. Yeah, uh what what do you uh what do you want to start with here? Well, I think we are going to start with Super Baseball Simulator 1000 or possibly Super Baseball Simulator 1. It looks like it's always written with a decimal point instead of a comma, so I don't know how I'm supposed to actually read that. Are, are they trying to go for like like a thousand like batting average there? Is that what that is? Oh, you know what? That's probably that was probably lost on on me a little bit. Okay, I feel a little silly now. That but the, that would make sense. Yes. Yeah, uh, I think that calling this a baseball simulator is is probably a little too highfalutin for for what this game is. Yeah, it is really kind of a a meat and potatoes bog standard video game baseball game, uh, much like what we saw with Super Bases Loaded. Do you want to talk a little bit about who uh, who made this game before we start talking about the game itself? Yeah, sure. So this was a game developed and published by Culture Brain, a studio most prominent in the 80s that released games like, hope I pronounced this right, The Magic of Magic of Scheherazade. Is that, is that right? That is right, yes. All right, woohoo! Uh, for the NES, uh, they're still around, but they make mostly smaller games for Nintendo handhelds and things like that. That's pretty much all I had on Culture Brain right now. That's a company that we will probably talk about again in the future, I imagine. They made some other games that are going to show up on the Super Nintendo as we go along. They also did the, uh, I I always feel kind of weird saying the name of this series, but the the Super Chinese (laughs) series of games, which is a a long span of games that are all Chinese mythology themed. You might be familiar with Kung Fu Heroes for the NES. That's one of them. I could be wrong about this. I think a lot of those did not come out in the U.S., but they they sure made a lot of them. So I'm not even familiar with that series, so I will yeah. assume that, yeah, they probably didn't come out over here. They definitely weren't called that when they came out over here. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I can imagine. They're one of those studios that was kind of just grinding away on stuff all through the latter half of the 80s, and here they are now on the Super Nintendo with this baseball game. Yeah, it sure is a baseball game. All right. I don't know how much I actually have to say about it. This is a baseball game, and it's a pretty as you said, standard by the numbers baseball game uh, for this era. Baseball games just hadn't quite found their way yet, I feel like, in video games. They were still very bland and, especially if you were playing one player against a computer, really 
not very fun experiences because computer controlled AI can always do things that you never seem to be capable of doing in these games. I will say, given that this does exhibit a lot of the same gameplay tropes and and systems that uh, Super Bases Loaded did, I, I am definitely getting kind of a feel for like just what a baseball game was like back then. And yeah, there's some things that are just fundamental about them that I'm not crazy about. I still think that this game makes it annoyingly hard to get a handle on where the ball is going and which you know player on your team is is in the right position to try to catch the ball. I think the fielding in this is actually in some ways worse than Super Bases Loaded, yes. but it is it is of a similar type. Yeah, fielding is absolutely a slog in this game. I hate the fielding in this game, and I'm always especially frustrated when I'm up to bat and my computer-controlled opponents can just seem to place their fielders exactly where they need to be, even before the camera has panned to them. A thing that obviously I, as a person who actually needs to see the screen, cannot do. This, like all baseball games, is best played two-player because then you're on more even footing. Uh, This game, like uh, Super Bases Loaded, does not have any affiliation with any actual teams or Major League Baseball. It is all uh, fake teams. The batting and pitching is fine, if not terribly interesting. There's a pretty limited amount of pitches that you can throw. Yeah, you can move your pitcher or your batter around in this game, which I I think you could not do in Super Bases Loaded. So that does add a little bit of something to this. But even with that, I could never get like a real handle, especially when I was you know, batting on kind of what the ball was going to do when it got hit, you know? (laughs) This is a game where, honestly, I really would like it if the pitching and batting had meters the way that we've seen in the golf games we've played. Just something to give me more control over what I'm actually doing. Well, I think the problem with meters is that, like, especially for pitching, if you have a meter, then your opponent can see what you're doing. That's a good point, actually. Uh, In in a two-player game, the meter is not necessarily a great thing. So this game isn't terribly impressive like most baseball games of this vintage, but I will say it's got three things going for it, one of which may not be quite as interesting. It's just the customization mode. Honestly, I have never had the patience to dig into the customization mode in a sports game before, so I can't tell you if this is something terribly unique to a game of this era, but you do get to completely make up your own teams and It even sounds like you can kind of make up your own league and have them all play a season if you want to do that. That's pretty fun, yeah. So the second thing that is unique to this game is the manager mode. This I found kind of intriguing. Basically, a lot of baseball games up to this point have had a watch mode in which you can just pit two AI-controlled teams against each other. The manager mode seems like middle ground between watching and playing, where you're not in direct control of the players, you're more making decisions about the lineup and things like that. I definitely can see that as a more fun way to play one player, because now your players are going to have all the same AI control advantages that your opponents have. Yeah, you're just kind of slamming the stats against each other and seeing which one comes out on top. Yeah, and again, I, I didn't really dig into that either. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really unprepared today for this one, quite frankly, but it's a sports game, so 
Just be thankful we're doing it at all, folks. <laughs> that is just to say, like, I don't know how hands-on or hands-off it is. My impression was that you're not directly controlling the players. So the last thing this game has going for it, and this is what I think is is really the main selling point of this game, is the fact that it has superpowers in it, which seem to just fly in the face of the idea of this being a simulation. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, which the game doesn't really let you know that uh, up front. You do have to kind of just go into the mode where you can use those. There are two leagues that just feature regular players that are more or less supposed to be analogous to the actual two leagues that make up Major League Baseball. But then there's also the Ultra League featuring teams like the Winners. And <laughs> these guys have superpowers available to them. Different characters will have different pitching, batting superpowers attributed to them and you can cycle through them i believe with the x button the super moves consume a certain amount of points it sort of becomes a science in deciding when you think you should use your superpowers because they are finite unless of course you select infinite points in which case then you can just go wild with it if you really want to as somebody who is coming at this primarily from being a fan of video games and not the sport itself. Something that makes the game more video gamey and gives you kind of more to play with than just trying to to simulate a, an actual baseball game is going to make it more attractive to me, for sure. Another thing this game does have going for it is the amount of customization. Uh, like I mentioned before, you can select how many super points your team is going to have, including up to infinite points. You also get to select how many innings you're going to play in a game. You can select how many games are in a season if you go into the full season mode. It also can keep games from running too long. You can just play a three-inning game if you want to. You could even play a one-inning game if you really wanted to. You, you sure can. <laughs> I still think that the core baseball here is pretty uninspired, but the superpowers can make things a bit more interesting. Again, I would recommend playing with another person. A lot of the superpowers just involve screen warping effects, which the computer-controlled AI doesn't seem too bothered by. But then again, some of them aren't. And if you really just want to get revenge on the damn computer, you could just give yourself infinite ultra points and stick the computer with a team that does not have ultra powers and just completely wail on them. You know, if, if you feel like you need that in your life, which uh, maybe we all need that every now and then. Everybody needs a, a way to get a, a power fantasy at some point. Yeah, definitely seeing your batter hit a ball, and when uh, the other team's player tries to catch the ball, it just carries them all the way into the the back wall of the field and slams them against it. <laughs> That's kind of fun. Yeah. That's pretty much the long and short of it with this game is... It's fine, but you do have some extra things here that give you the opportunity to have a different sort of experience with it. On balance, like it, this game looks pretty good, but nothing outstanding. I don't really like the music in this one very much. I think I was more of a fan of the music in Super Bases Loaded than this. This is very kind of old-timey, take-me-out-to-the-ballpark style uh, baseball music. And uh, it's a little, I found it a little grating pretty quickly, but it's fine for what it is. Well, obviously, I think the easiest thing to compare this to is Super Bases Loaded, which is currently sitting at number 23. Do you think this is a better game than Super Bases Loaded? I do think this is a better game than that. Yeah, I do think this has a little more going on. It feels a little bit more like a Super Nintendo game to me than Super Bases Loaded did. The superpowers alone give this something that just makes the experience a lot more fun, even if it is less like actual baseball. We've got D-Force at number 22. I think this is better than that. Super Baseball Simulator 1000 is is a 
more successful baseball game than that is a shooting game. So now we get into something a little bit tougher here. We've got Super Tennis at 21, which I think is a perfectly serviceable tennis game that doesn't need as many added bells and whistles as Super Baseball Simulator 1000 needed to make it recommendable. I think it is not better than Super Tennis, but I think it's pretty close. And I don't think it goes any lower than D-Force. I, I think Super Tennis, it's a more appealing game to look at, and it has a pretty fun system for for how to play tennis in a video game that feels more kind of well-rounded than the baseball game here. The baseline mechanics for tennis were in place to build upon, whereas I don't even think we've gotten quite there with baseball yet as a video game, at least not on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, I feel like that. So number 22, then, is going to be Super Baseball Simulator 1000. And here it is, folks, the last game on the list for 1991. You ready for it? Super Off-Road. And uh, this is an adaptation of an arcade game, and uh, the arcade game had a slightly different name, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It was Ivan Iron Man Stewart's Super Off-Road by the Leland Corporation, who manufactured arcade machines mostly, like uh, Dragon's Lair 2. This is a game that came out on everything. As a result, finding specific details about this version specifically has been very hard. But uh, one thing I did realize when I booted this one up is that this music sounded very familiar. I had to look it up and sure enough, this game shares a composer with Spider-Man and the X-Men in Arcade's Revenge, which I could definitely hear in the MIDI uh, electric guitar whales. Uh, the composer is Tim Follin, who worked on both this game and on Spider-Man and the X-Men, which he actually worked on that one with his brother, Jeff Follin. Yeah. Yeah, this is... Uh a pretty good adaptation of that game from the arcades, except that it is missing its three-player option. You can only play two-player here as the Super Nintendo did not have a multi-tap accessory and wouldn't for another, at least another year. But, you know, I do have to say that I do think this game is pretty fun to play even as a one-player game. You know, not to say that it's it's you know, perfect or great that way. But I did have quite a bit of fun actually just playing the game against the computer. This is a single screen racing game. You have a top-down perspective on various off-road courses while you and three other trucks make their way around the courses. The trucks have a really toy car sort of look to them, almost like a micro-machine sort of look. I completely agree with you that this game is a lot of fun to play two-player and one-player. And I also am really glad you mentioned Micro Machines, because I actually wrote that exact same thing in my notes, that <laughs> the presentation of this game really does give it a sort of look of little Micro Machines or something. And it's it's kind of really aesthetically pleasing to me. I think it might be a, an aesthetic that's a turnoff for some people, but I found it really endearing and, and really enjoyable. Yeah, me too. It felt very nostalgic for me. And I think it carries that aesthetic well. Like, I don't think it's just because this is the stuff it's presenting that it's, it's fun. I think it's doing... A legitimately good job with that. There's a little bit of kind of a, uh, a power-up system between races. You can dump money that you win from either collecting it on the track or uh, by by placing in the races into various stats for your, your car. There's suspension, acceleration, top speed. You can buy nitro boosters. And then when you go into the next race, you have access to hopefully a slightly better controlling car. If you place 
last in a race. First time you do that, you do get the option to continue, and, and you'll just go on to the next race, but you'll have lost most of the the power-ups that you've bought for yourself over that time. I was honestly still able to win races fairly consistently, even if I didn't have all those power-ups. So I don't know how much difference those really make but there it's kind of it's kind of cool that that's that's a thing here just to add a little bit more depth i think it made a little bit of a difference for me i was having a lot of trouble i think i got to a point where once i lost i couldn't quite get make that back up uh i feel like maybe the penalty for losing is a bit harsh another thing i was a little bit baffled by was the fact that it seems like all of my opponents started with just a ton of nitro boosts available and i did not is that something you saw? Yeah, that's true, actually. Okay. Yeah, the Nitro Boosts can make a pretty big difference in the outcome of the race. They're also just a lot of fun to use. It's a lot of fun just kind of figuring out on each of the race tracks. okay, where's the best place to use these? Yeah, usually there's some kind of big straightaway or a place where you can like do a jump off of uh, a ramp to uh, to get like a good boost if you use your nitro at the right time. This game just it, it has a good feel to it. Like I think feel like it's just fun to maneuver your car around all these hairpin turns and through these various uh, environmental obstacles. For the most part, I thought the game played really well and felt really good. I liked how the physics of the trucks crashing into each other worked. Like it really did feel like the trucks had a lot of weight. I uh, I did find myself accidentally getting turned around once in a while. I was going to ask if that happened to you, because that definitely was a problem for me. I found that any time I ever did that, I it was almost impossible to write myself. Pretty much. I think I recovered one time from that, but for the most part, yeah, that's pretty much it. There's one course where the course intersects with the same place in, in two places, and uh, there was definitely a time where I was pretty far out in front, and then by the time I was going across that that sort of juncture in the course, the other cars were crossing it as well, and I, I hit one of them, and it ended up turning me around, and I ended up losing, because I could never get back up to where I was before. So, not great there. That's, that's a pretty annoying bit of design, for sure. I feel like our last game was an example of just the mechanics not being there, but sort of being boosted up by the bells and whistles included in the game. This one doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles and doesn't need them, quite frankly, because the game fundamentals are pretty solid here. I had just a good time playing this, and I don't know that I have much else to say about it. So do you want to go ahead and and, uh, rank this one? As far as racing games go, we've got RPM racing at the very bottom, and this just blows that out of the water. Um, yeah, obviously. I'm, I'm kind of thinking more like we look at maybe starting at F0 and decide whether or not we think this is a better game than F0. I mean, again, we're really... Okay. Even though these are technically the same genre, it really feels like we're comparing apples and oranges here. It sure does, yeah. I would say I probably would put F0 above this. A lot of the stuff I can say that's that's really good about this game, I can kind of also say about F0. F0 is... is is a solely a one-player game, and that is something you can certainly take into account. But given that I only played this as a one-player game as well, the experience of playing them was both them both was fun. But I, I think that probably I'm a little bit more drawn to F Zero than I am to this game. Just even though I did enjoy this mm, one a lot, it, I don't know. It, it's a really tough call because again, they are very different kinds of games. I guess F Zero makes really impressive use of the hardware, whereas the Super Off-Road really doesn't use any of the Super Nintendo's special graphics modes at all, but again, doesn't need them. I mean, the one thing I will say there, I don't think there's any equivalent to the the getting turned around problem 
that Super Off-Road has in F-Zero. Mm, yeah. But another thing F-Zero doesn't have is a power-up system in the way that Super Off-Road does with its nitrous boost. That's true. Well, it, it has boosts. Uh, d- does, does it have boosts that you choose when to activate? Well, this is embarrassing because it's actually been several months since we played F-Zero. And <laughs> no, I can't fair enough. say for sure whether that's true or not. Um I might be thinking of other future sports racing games, honestly. My, my thinking here with Super Off-Road is that having the nitrous boost that you can sort of collect throughout the races and decide when you want to use them adds a layer of strategy to this that maybe F-Zero doesn't quite have. The the kind of equivalent, in, as far as F-Zero goes, is, as far as um, you know, being like extra stuff to think about would be like the health meter. But it's less active. It's more just like a thing you have to take care of to make sure you don't get hit and that you get into the pit to recharge. So the Nitro Boost may actually be a better thing in that sense. It's a tough call because it's sort of like the presentation and sense of speed of F-Zero versus the methodical kind of racing that you do in super off-road i could go either way but i i'm i'm leaning a little bit towards putting it above f-zero it's probably not what i would do but i i see the argument and i i'm i'm good with it i'm i think we can go with it so if it goes above f-zero where where do you think it goes do you think it goes right above f-zero or do you think it it keeps going up i don't know if i would actually say that i had more fun with super off-road than i did with these two shooters that we have here. It's really tough going up against Darius Twin, which the big advantage that I would say Super Off-Road has, or one of its big advantages, is that it's got two-player, and so does Darius. That might actually be the ceiling for me for this one. Yeah, I think that's fair. I do. You're okay with with F-Zero going below this one? Because I know that people are going to be very upset with me about this. <laughs> I mean, I, I get your argument. I personally think I enjoy F-Zero more than this game, but I, I think you've made a, a, a good case for it going above F-Zero. So Super Off-Road is now going to be our new number seven, so... Sorry, F-Zero, and, and sorry to everybody who's going to send me hate mail about this, but I just I, I just think this, that I had more fun with this game. And- I mean, I will say, F-Zero doesn't have anything quite as impressive to me as, as the bizarre-looking game-over screen that Super <laughs> Off-Road has, of just this, this dude with a mullet looking really sad in front of his truck. He looks like race truck driving Roger from Rent. Yeah, that's true. That's, that is right. That is right. That's how the list is going to shake up for 1991 maybe i just wanted to cause a little controversy i don't know 31 games 31 games and uh so one other game that did come out in 1991 that i'm just going to mention really fast is the miracle piano teaching system which was a piano teaching system as you can imagine for the super nintendo that came out on a whole lot of other computers and consoles we do not have access to that i am not even entirely sure how or if that thing could interface with an emulator so it might be like a thing where i would have to actually get the entire kit the piano the cables the cartridge and everything and hook it all up to a crt to make sure it all works and just see how it plays before we could fairly rank that one so we're not going to to be clear that one's not exactly a game it really is more like a piano teaching program that came with a, an actual keyboard and was essentially designed to help you actually learn the piano it wasn't exactly coming out through kind of normal channels for a game. And like you said, it would be extremely technically challenging for us to actually get that up and running in a way where we could, we could 
play it. Maybe someday later. Yeah, it's also pretty rare these days because when it originally came out, it cost significantly more than the Super NES itself. So it was a pretty pricey prospect for anybody even thinking of purchasing that back in the day. So I imagine not very many units sold. And as a result, there aren't very many of them out there. If we ever get access to it somehow, then we might go back to it in a future episode. But we just wanted to let everybody know that, yes, we're aware that that exists. We just can't play it. Well, so that's the Super Nintendo in 1991. Let's talk a little bit about the system as a whole and, you know, kind of how we're feeling about it now. So, you know, I think that there's a few clunkers here and there, but I think on, on the whole, like most of this library is pretty solid. Like the top 26 games on here, starting from the Chess Master on up. That is to say, the majority of these games, I wouldn't have any problem recommending, even if some of them would be, you know, harder sells than others, but... Really, this is a launch lineup that I think a lot of systems wish they would have had, really. I mean, this is pretty good. It is pretty good, and it's it's partially helped by the fact that the system came out like a year ahead of this in Japan. So this is not this is not every game that had come out for the Super Famicom during that time. This is a more curated selection of them with a few additional Western games. But it is a good lineup for sure. And it's, you know, for a launch year, especially compared to kind of how things have, have sometimes gone for other Nintendo systems, this is a lot of games. And it's a really broad cross-section of different genres and different studios making games for it. This is a good list. This is healthy. It's interesting to me to see ActRaiser's SimCity, Draken. These are all games that I can't necessarily see being able to exist on older Nintendo systems, but they're they're really, you know, standouts here in a lot of ways. The other thing is that we're seeing the kinds of games that we're actually not going to see a lot of going forward, like Draken and the Western RPG or ActRaiser, which sort of defies uh, genre in a way. That's not a game we're ever going to see more of. They never made them like that. They didn't make them like that back then. They don't really make them like that now. It's also kind of telling that even though these 31 games make up about 4 to 5% of the Super Nintendo's library once all was said and done, we do have 20% of the games on the Super NES Mini which was released last year, represented here. We, we've got uh, Super Mario World, F-Zero, Super Castlevania Four, and for some reason, Super Ghouls and Ghosts. All came out this year, which is kind of impressive, too. Like, they thought that, you know, they thought in highly enough of these games that they thought, yeah, this is what we want representing the library of the Super Nintendo on this mini console. This is what we think is maybe... Maybe not the cream of the crop, but some of the best representatives of some of the greatest games that came out on the system. It's also interesting for me to look at this list and think back on our discussions about all these things and realize just for for what you could, I guess, call like a hardware gimmick, how much Mode 7 figures into a lot of these games in like pretty important ways. Like that was really something where this one new tool that the the system's hardware gave people really kind of opened up possibilities for for ways that you could display things and and ways you could you know portray action on the system. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and you know Nintendo is 
a company that has a history of incorporating gimmicks into their consoles. And a lot of times those gimmicks don't stick or they're sort of a Trojan horse to get the console into consumers' hands. But after a while, the gimmick starts to become less and less of a prominent feature and just more of a fun little thing that the system has. With the NES and the robotic operating buddy that came with it is sort of Nintendo's way of getting consumers confident about purchasing video game consoles again. Obviously, that only had two games that it ever worked with and was very quickly and quietly shoved to the side. Like contemporary systems like the DS with the touchscreen controls. Oh, I mean, the 3DS with the the 3D that ended up being such a non-factor in the system that eventually they just started releasing version of the system that didn't have the 3D and it didn't really matter for the most part. But this is all to say that Mode 7 is a gimmick that really stuck around. Games would keep utilizing this tool because it really was just such a game changer in the way you could present things. Um, It was a game changer in the sense that you could make these really impressive looking racing games like F-Zero and Super Mario Kart later on. You know, you could implement new gameplay mechanics like they did with Super Castlevania 4. Unlike a lot of Nintendo's gimmicks, this is one that really stuck throughout the entire system's lifespan. end this do we want to just like briefly kind of look down the list here and see if there's anything about any of these games that maybe we think we might have missed the first time that we want to mention yeah sure um yeah do you want to go first or do you want me to to say mine first um I, I, I think I might start first. So I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about Super Mario World because, I mean, we devoted almost an entire episode to it uh, in episode zero. I, I think we've said all we needed to say about it. I will say this, though. I am, you know, after the close calls we have had of it being dethroned, I am a lot less confident that it's going to remain at the top, even, you know, going into next year. I, I think there's a very good chance that it's going to get dethroned. Did we ever have a conversation about it versus castlevania 4 we didn't actually we kind of just had the conversation about it versus final fantasy 2 and then had the the kind of like assumed stopping point for it be super mario world which is kind of interesting considering how much we we kind of twisted ourselves up thinking about whether or not final fantasy 2 was better than than mario world uh i'm not really sure why that happened yeah i'm not either but yeah why why we didn't have that conversation about castlevania yeah we probably should have I don't know that I necessarily would put Castlevania 4 above Super Mario World, but it sure does do a lot with the Mode 7 in ways that no other game on this list does, incorporating it really into the game mechanics, uh, making it more than just a presentational thing about the game. You know, I think a lot of people are a little bit down sometimes on Super Castlevania 4, especially when comparing it to Castlevania games on the Genesis, which were more moving forward while... I think, as we mentioned in the episode where we talked about it, Super Castlevania 4 felt more like a return to Castlevania's roots, maybe like almost backward looking game. But I but I think that that's unfair because I think that the fundamentals of Castlevania were really, really good. And this this refines them in a way it just makes for a spectacular game. And I, I don't think people should dismiss it for maybe not being a little bit more forward thinking like its Genesis counterparts were. Yeah, I think Super Castlevania 4 is a fantastic game. I think it is doing stuff presentation wise is just incredible, uh, especially for a game coming out so so soon into the Super Nintendo's lifespan. I don't know. Do you think you would have uh, put this above Super Mario World, or would you have made that argument had we had that discussion? 
in terms of genre and gameplay, Castlevania, Super Castlevania 4 and Super Mario World are closer to each other than Super Mario World and Final Fantasy 2. I actually find it kind of easier to still see Super Mario World as as the the better game just because I think that the stuff that we talked about with Super Mario World with the sort of exploration-based levels and the amount of secrets you can find in the game and just the the amazing kind of feel of things like the cape in that game do do make it, you know, really hard for me to even with all the great stuff that Super Castlevania 4 has going on for for it to 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 really quite measure up to it in in those ways uh i don't know it's it's a strange thing i I mean would you would you would you have have made that argument i I definitely feel like we should have had the conversation it was maybe a bit of an oversight on our part i think i agree with you there that it is uh easier to say that yeah super mario world still belongs on top but super castlevania 4 does do some amazing things being number two on this list is not a bad thing (laughs) it's really not yeah I mean, if you look at the company it's keeping, really, like, the top five games here are all just incredible. So I think a lot of what I said about Final Fantasy II was maybe colored by remakes of the game. I don't think I'd actually ever played the original version of Final Fantasy II, and I didn't realize just how much wasn't in that game and like also how bad the original translation was it's not a good translation you know like i'm I'm not getting a sense of who these characters are in the same way that i did with the remakes i do actually think that if i had been more aware of that it might have been easier for me to put final fantasy 2 where we ended up putting it or you know rather than hemming and hawing about you know does does it go above super mario world not to say it's a bad game it's it's still an amazing game and i highly recommend checking it out but i would probably say if you have access to any of the remakes Maybe give those a try first. Yeah, I think that that's fair. And also, as somebody who does have more experience with the games that would follow this, both on the the Super Nintendo and and later on the PlayStation, it is easier to see Final Fantasy II, especially in this original version on the Super Nintendo, as really kind of like a, a, a major jumping off point for like how this series would develop rather than like a kind of fully formed sort of idea here. You know, that's kind of thrilling in a way because you can really, it's really exciting to see where something that would have this like amazing legacy would start. I, I'm still happy with its placement on this list. Um, same thing with Act Racer, which is really a phenomenal game. The, the first game that I just played through it in its entirety for this show. Yeah, and again, just like unlike anything else that has come out. We have UN Squadron and Darius Twin as our two sort of cream of the crop of the shooters. And yeah, I, I still agree with that. We got Super Off-Road and F-Zero as our cream of the crop for racers. Not that it's got a lot of competition there right now. It's interesting how games are sort of like pairing up like this, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, part of it is just like that we find in certain genres easy points of comparison for games, so we end up putting them kind of close together. But I do think it's also, these are very justifiable placements on the list, full stop. And then we got uh, SimCity, which I think we've said a lot about already. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I could keep going down the list, but I I don't know if there's anything else that I really wanted to to bring up was there anything you wanted to talk about in particular there's a couple of things i wanted to talk about um there are a couple of games that i'm really glad that i have played because of doing this show that i don't think i would have really 
ever given time to, like Draken, for example, which I don't think is a brilliant game, but it's really interesting. And, uh, you know, I'm really glad that I've spent some time with it and that I can see this sort of like alternate sort of what if path for what RPGs on the Super Nintendo could have been like if, you know, that sort of Western influence had been a little more pronounced on it, like what they would have, what people would have used this technology for. Ultimately, I do think that it's kind of an evolutionary dead end for a lot of reasons, and I'm honestly pretty happy with the version of history that we got, where RPGs on the Super Nintendo ended up being what they are. But I'm really glad that game exists and that, you know, that I got to play it. To a lesser extent, I kind of feel that way about Lagoon. It's it's not the kind of game that I have played a lot of, but I am glad that I got to experience a good chunk of that game, even though I, I'm probably not going to go back and finish it. it you know, I'm, I'm glad I got to see what it's like. It's It was an interesting thing, even though I think it's a deeply flawed experience. Like we talked about when we played that game the circumstances of its existence are are pretty odd so i'm glad that it's there and that especially that you were able to give it some real investigation The other game I wanted to talk a little bit about is Hyperzone. Less so, honestly, for the game itself, but more because I think in some ways Hyperzone ended up being kind of an odd pivot point for our list, where in a lot of cases it seemed like, to some extent, we were deciding whether or not a game was better or worse than Hyperzone in terms of, of talking about what its... Uh, what its success rate was at doing what it wanted to do, you know? Yeah, and you know, I think Hyperzone might be sort of like the point at which we see a separation between games that we would be more eager to recommend and games that we think are, are still all right, but we would be a lot less eager to recommend. Right, and I just think it's interesting because I would not have pegged that game as that when we originally played it. And I think that it is an interesting case of a game made by people who were really talented making something that the idea itself didn't really have much of anywhere to, to go beyond just what you do in that game for the first, like, five or ten minutes. But where that one thing is so interesting, and it's such a, a striking use of the system, the fact that it's, like, kind of close-ish to some other games on the list in terms of what you're doing and how you're doing it. Obviously, it, it looks and feels a fair bit like F-Zero. It, you know, has sort of echoes in several of the other shooters we've played. And it's really kind of going out there with its presentation and really trying to do something with it. Hal is a very good developer. The fact that they made this game that kind of just almost more striking as like a, a thing to talk about than it is as a thing to play for an extended period of time. I think in some ways was honestly really valuable for us, you know, for it to come so early in our rankings, I think, you know, kind of helped a lot in, in how we sort of ended up organizing this list. One last thing I'll say about uh, just all the sports games in general is that while I'm still not a huge 
fan of sports games. I'm not disliking experiencing those games enough for me to want to stop doing them. I think we're going to, at least for now, we're going to keep going with sports games. I mean, don't expect the in-depth analysis that we might give some other games, but we'll keep trying them out and just keep seeing you know how we feel about them. Because I do think that, especially in the case of baseball, which I, again don't think it's really found its fundamentals yet as a video game. I think we're going to see an evolution in baseball games as a video game over the course of this series where they become much more playable and they feel a lot more like the sport that they're trying to represent. So I, I think it's just going to be interesting to see the evolution of sports games in general on you know, as as a video game, even if they aren't the things that we would reach for just recreationally. Yeah, uh, I I very much agree, and I I definitely don't feel like there's any reason for us to just skip sports games when we come to them on the list. We've had some really interesting conversations about them, and yeah, like you said, I'm really interested to see how some of these genres uh, of sports develop. So yeah, so for now, we are going to keep doing sports games, folks, as we go into 1992, and I think that's about all I've got to say about 1991. It's been a good year. Uh, it has been a good year, and I, I think I'm I've I've said my piece on it as well. And uh, I'm excited to look forward to the future. 1992. What's Steampunk Link? What's new for 92? Let's see. So, oh, we're actually going to be going into a couple of months in, in the next episode. So, in January, we're going to have Earth Defense Force, Joe and Mac, and Yeast. Yeast? Is that right? Uh, East, I think. Yeah, East. East. Okay. East 3, Wanderers from East. And then we will have in February to start off Nolan Ryan's baseball, a player whose name I actually recognize. Me too, which is really remarkable. <laughs> all right. Well, folks, thank you all so much for listening. We hope you've really enjoyed our analysis of all the games from the first year of the Super Nintendo. We're really looking forward to 1992 and beyond. So I hope you are as well. Until next time, I'm Steampunk Lake. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. For more of our content, check out honestpiranha.com. Thanks for listening. Sizzling new for 92! Donruss, a radical redesign, with action so big, back so bold, rookie in a lead card so cool.